Back in the 1800s, uh, Randy, are you paying attention? That's what I thought. You weren't, you, weren't, you weren't born back in the 1800s, were you? That's what I wonder. Isn't it good to be loved on the last Sunday? Yeah. Back in the 1800s, there was this guy named um, William Miller. And uh, he, was a, he was a pastor. And after his study of Scripture, he became convinced that the return of Christ was imminent. And then from that day on, from the day that he was sure that Jesus was coming back any day, every time he had an opportunity to stand in front of a group of people, any time he had the opportunity to be in conversation with someone, he would ask, are you ready? Jesus is coming back. Any day now, Jesus is coming back. He, his his um, message became so um, famous and his movement became so famous that they became known as the Millerites. And it was in October of 1843 that the Millerites, these people who were adamantly uh, believing that Jesus was coming back any day, in fact, th- that day was in the month of October 1843, they sold all their stuff. And there, I don't know if everybody did because there were literally thousands and tens of thousands of people who believed this and were considered themselves Millerites, but thousands of them, according to Um, news articles, sold all their stuff, donned white robes, and ascended the nearest mountain and just waited there for the Lord to return. Now, um, because you're sitting here today, you already know that they were disappointed that Jesus did not return in October of 1843. But their disappointment does not change this fact. Jesus is coming back. Now somebody should just say amen to that. Jesus is coming back because Jesus promised He was coming back. Now one of the problems that the Millerites had was that they were interpreting um, what Jesus said about His second coming um, wrong. That happens because if you read the, the Scriptures about Christ's second coming, a lot of it is kind of allegorical. In other words, there's, there's not a lot of specifics, but we do know a few things. We know that Jesus is coming back, and we can know the season. In other words, there will be things that start to happen that will signify or will let you know that the time is getting close. The problem is that you can associate those things with almost uh, any, any season in history. But here is the problem that the Millerites made. Jesus Himself said, you, will, you may know the season, but you will not know the time. You may know the season, but you will not know the exact time. So be prepared. Be prepared. I became a Christian when I was uh, a teenager. And um, almost immediately be, be, upon accepting Christ into my heart as Lord and Savior, I became infatuated with the second coming of Christ. I read all the scriptures related to Christ's second coming. I read every book that was written on it that I could get my hands on. And after doing all this research on Christ's second coming, I became convinced of a few things. And the most important thing I became convinced of was that nobody really knows much of anything for sure. Except the fact that Jesus is coming back. So, 
Why do I bring all this up today? Well, I bring it up today for two reasons. Number one, this is the time of year when we as uh, human beings uh, reflect on the future. What the future might hold. We, have, we make uh, New Year's resolutions. We make predictions about how the stock market might go in the coming year. You know, all that kind of stuff. So it's a good time to reflect on what might happen in the future. But most importantly, the reason why I'm bringing up this particular topic today is because as Christians, we are commanded to be aware. Three times in the Scripture, in the New Testament, it says that Christ shall return as a thief in the night. And when Christ returns, you'd better be prepared because no excuse for not being prepared will be accepted. What do you think about that? We must be prepared. So, today um, is part of the preparation process for all of you who have responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to be here this morning. Now, obviously, I don't have time in one message to uh, unpack all the Scriptures related to the second coming of Christ. So what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack one particular passage that um, kind of had inspired the Millerites, those folks I told you about earlier, that caused them to believe that maybe they should sell all their stuff, put on some white robes, and go wait for the for the coming of Christ. All right? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as you're doing that, I will give you a little bit of context so you understand what was going on and why this was even written. As most of you know, um, half of the New Testament are letters that were written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, to various churches, to Christians. Um, not just those churches back then, but to us today. This particular letter to the Thessalonians was written in response to um, a word that Paul had received that there were some folks in the uh, Thessalonian church who had died unexpectedly. And along with the grief that human beings feel, these Christians were feeling just because when you lose someone you love, you grieve, right? They were also experiencing some unsettling uncertainty. Because more than any time in history, people in the early church lived every day believing that Christ could return that very day. In fact, they all believed it. Every Christian in the early church believed that any day now, Jesus was coming back. And that was good to live their lives that way, but as each day passed, it um, it created problems in some respects. Because, you see, they had never given a thought to what might happen if someone dies before the second coming of Christ. What, what happens to these people? Are these people going to participate in, in Christ's glorious kingdom that He's going to establish here on earth that the Bible says will happen one day? Well, it was into that kind of uncertainty and that grief that Paul writes this letter. And he writes specifically this passage that the girls read for you earlier. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16-18. through 18. He says this, Indeed, listen to me now, I don't know if you've ever read this or not before, but you should have. It says, Indeed, Christ shall return with a loud voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God. Christ shall return. 
And the dead in Christ shall rise first. They shall be caught up. They shall be raptured. That's what the word rapture means. If you've ever heard the word rapture and wondered, well, what does that mean? That's what it means. To be raptured means to be caught up. So the Scripture says that um, Christ shall return with the loud voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God, which basically means when Jesus comes back, everybody's going to know it. It's not going to come as a, a surprise at that moment. The moment itself may be a surprise, but that He came back is not going to be a surprise. With the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God, Christ shall return, and the dead in Christ shall rise or be caught up first, shall be raptured first. And then those of us that remain, and he says those of us that remain because why? Because he believed he was still going to be alive when this happened. Because of the imminent return. He says those of us that remain shall then be caught up, raptured, and we will meet with them in the air. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Have you read that before? That's pretty good stuff. And I'm going to tell you right now, of all the scriptures that talk about the second coming of Christ, that particular passage is probably the most definitive that you'll find. Most of the rest of them are kind of like, they use a lot of illusions, you know, allegories. This one seems, anyway, to me anyway, it seems very matter of fact. Christ is going to return. Loud voice, trumpets. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those of us that remain shall um, be caught up with them in the air. will be raptured. But as definitive as that passage is, it still raises some more questions. For example, if you've died before Christ returns, what are those people doing? Between the time of their death and the time of Christ's return, are they just laying in the grave? Now to a lot of people, that's, that's disconcerting. Are they just laying in the grave or, or what? Well, if you've ever wondered that, the answer to that question requires us to delve more deeply into the Scripture. So, And what we need to look at is a biblical, we need to understand the biblical concept of time. And this is how most human beings, because this is the way we experience it, understand time. Most of us human beings understand time in a linear fashion like this, right? There's the past, and then there's the present, where we are today, and then there's the future. And it's all on this line, correct? Generally, our, our conception of, of it is that you can't experience any of them at the same time. The past is in the past. The only thing that we're experiencing now is the present, and we can only anticipate what the future holds, right? Well, did you know that that's not the way God experienced time? Now you say, well, how do you know that? Well, all throughout the Scriptures, we are given uh, glimpses into how God experiences time. For example, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this, to, the, to God, a thousand years is as a day, and a thousand years, and a day is as a thousand years. So what does that mean? Well, I suppose a lot of people can interpret the dif this differently, but for me, you know what it says? Is it says to me that God operates outside of time. In other words, God is not, um, um, he is not required, He doesn't experience time the same way we do. In other words, God, in God's economy, or, or in the spirit realm, the past, 
the present and the future all exist together. Today, to God, a thousand years is as a day, and a, and a day is like a thousand years. It all happens at once. It's all happening at the same time in, in one respect. So, you apply that, theo- or that scripture and that the- theological scripture to the question what happens to the person who has died between the time they die and the time of, the, of Christ's second coming. The answer is this. The moment that person dies, the resurrection occurs. Why? Because in, with God, He operates outside of time. The past, the present, and the future are all together. That's a mind-bender, isn't it? It kind of makes my brain hurt a little bit. If you were worried about a loved one who's died and you're thinking, are they asleep? Are they in a coma? Or are they just laying there in the grave? Because I've heard, I, I have the privilege of walking alongside a lot of people who have lost people that they love and that's, one, that's not an uncommon question for Christians. What are they doing? Are they just laying there? No. They've been caught up. For today, for to God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. It all occurs in the moment. Now, if your brain hurts a little bit, let me bring it all back down to, to earth, okay? Uh, here's my question. As we contemplate as Christians the second coming of Christ and things like the rapture, what is all that stuff, that theology, that biblical knowledge, what is that supposed to do for us today? How are we supposed to apply that, those biblical truths to our lives today? Well, let me begin by um, explaining to you how it doesn't apply. I believe that the Millerites were wrong for selling all their stuff, putting on white robes and going sitting on a mountain waiting for the Lord to return. In fact, I would go so far as to say that God is calling us to do the exact opposite thing than what they did. I believe because we have been told that Jesus is coming back as a thief in the night. And that we don't know exactly when it's going to happen, that we should be all the more inspired and encouraged to get out there and to be about the business of the Gospel every day. You see, here's one of the mistakes that Christians make who really get into the second coming of Christ. We, we mistakenly think it's all about us. Well, what's it going to be like for me when that happens? What's, what's it going to feel like to be caught up in the air, right? I understand why you feel that way. In fact, that was one of the reasons that I was so drawn to studying those Scriptures and reading all the different books that I could because I wanted, I wanted to know what it was going to be like for me. But the fact of the matter is this, friends. The day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have, The day that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your future is sealed. You already know what it's going to look like. You're going to be caught up with Jesus in the air. 
The people who don't know are your friends and your family and your, your neighbors and your co-workers, people all around the world who haven't heard that Jesus is coming back, who haven't heard that Jesus is the answer to, to sin and darkness and hopelessness. Therefore, our response to things like the rapture and the second coming ought to be that, that we get out there and we, we, every day, every breath that we breathe, every decision that we make ought to be about how can I better share the love of Jesus with the world, with my family and my friends and my co-workers? How can I be the hands and the feet? How can I proclaim this message? How can I pray more fervently so that when that day of the rapture comes, there will be all these caught up in the air with us. That's our privilege and our responsibility. So should we be talking and thinking and praying about the rapture and the second coming of Christ? Absolutely we should because we need to be ready. And we need to be readying others as well. So as you come forward to receive communion this morning, I want you to remember. I want you to contemplate the fact that Jesus is coming back. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be a, a thousand years from now. We don't know. But He is coming back. And as the church, it's our privilege, which is what communion is, is reminding us and celebrating that we have been called to be Jesus, to be the gospel message to a world that needs to know that hope as well.